Hey, you're listening to the Encounter Church podcast. To learn more about Encounter Church, visit us at ecdenver.org, or you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. Hey, but what is today? Mother's Day. We'll try that again. Okay, what, what is today? And today is a day that we honor, we honor mothers, and, and we, uh, it's just a very special day. And I also know it's, it can be a bittersweet day. I, I, we had a special time of prayer, uh, first service for people who have experienced loss during this season. I, my own mother has been gone 32 years, and every Mother's Day, I can't help but think of her, uh, and it can be a painful time. Uh, there's other issues that have happened. And so know that, that whether this is a time when you're surrounded by 47 children, which sounds horrible, but, uh, you know, but, but, or whether you know, you're by yourself, God is with you. And we know that there's, there's something special for you from God this Mother's Day 2023. But at this time, I would like to ask all of the ladies who are mothers or grandmothers or foster mothers or stepmothers or, or a mother of any kind, would you please just stand to your feet? Come on, stand up. Give it up. Yay! Woo! Yeah, come on. And all of us who aren't standing, let's just celebrate. Yay! Woo! That is wonderful. Come on! Yay! If you're watching us online, hey, I hope you're standing too. Now, remain standing because not only do we want to clap for you, cheer for you, celebrate you, we want to bless you. And so I'd like to invite our children's ministry to come forward. All of these kids have a gift, especially for you. And uh, if you would like to get in on this and pretend you're a mom, go ahead and stand up. No, but if you would, kids, go ahead and make sure every lady, and when you've received your gift, please sit down, then we'll know you've been blessed. So, all right, great. That's all right. It's a, uh, well, you'll have to open it and see, but we believe it'll be a help to you and an encouragement to your faith. And thank you so much, women. God bless. You doing good? You got everybody on the left? Yeah, all right. Okay. Hmm. Got a couple books. Make sure this young lady gets taken care of. Okay. All right. There you go. We got some young ladies over here on the left as well. All right. Okay. Got Ms. Early over there. Hello. The lady in red is standing. Somebody? Anybody? There we go. Okay. It's all good. Did we miss anybody? We're all good. All right, God, that's wonderful. Let's give one more clap for our mothers, amen, and our kids. So in praying about what to share on Mother's Day and asking God, okay, God, well, what is it you want to, to sow into to the community? Uh, God gave me what can only be described as a genius-level bit of inspiration and revelation. And in this genius level bit of inspiration and revelation, God asked me this one question. What do all mothers have in common? Anybody? Children? True. But they are also all women. <laughs> I told you it was genius level. It's kind of a low genius, but it's a genius level. And as I was thinking about what to, what to share, what God led me to do is, is to really look at how we can celebrate and honor the contribution of women to the Church of Jesus Christ on this Mother's Day 2023. And so I have entitled this message this morning, Giving Honor to Whom Honor is Due. 
And I want you ladies to know that, that you should be honored. You're worthy of honor. And when you leave here, I hope you feel celebrated. And men, I hope you realize that uh, this message is not just for ladies. It's also for us because there's always truth that helps us grow in Christ. Now, let's, let's talk a little bit. We have 2,000 years of church history, 2,000 years of church um, polity or policy towards women. And there's something that has kind of occurred throughout the entire history of the church, and it's this, that the church's attitude towards women and motherhood has been influenced by the broader culture's attitudes towards women and motherhood in every culture and in every period of history. Now, we are a solo scriptura. We are a church that values and esteems the canon of the Word of God. But the reality is that what we consider canon is often influenced by culture. And often, you know, the culture, you know, should be influenced by the canon. And so what I want you to understand is that when we look at church history, it's important to recognize that not everything we thought was canon is canon. Some of it is just culture. And so that's just something for you to consider as we go into this, go into this message. The second thing I, I want you to think about, and this is borne out historically pretty much anywhere you look, is that if you look at the lives of women in the world over the last several thousand years. You could say that their lives are dominated by, by three words. And those three words are these. Fear, pain, and hard work. I realize it's actually four words, but I did go to public school and got a C in English. <laughs> I, you know, it's actually a math problem, and I have no idea why I thought hard work was one word. But, but, but the point of it is fear. I mean, if you were a woman, in the world, pretty much anywhere in the world, your, your life was not your own. You were essentially chattel. You were owned by your father or your brothers or uh, uncle, and you could be traded like chattel to anybody or anything for any purpose. Being a woman was painful. I mean, everybody worked hard except the upper class, the very narrow elite, but, but being a mother especially brought new kinds of pain into your life. <laughs> Somebody's going to quiet. Amen. Ain't that the truth, brother? But, but just to give you some examples, between 10 and 15% of mothers in the Roman Empire died during childbirth. What a different world it would be if 10 to 15% of fathers died during the act of conception. Just asking, just asking, you know, think about how the world would be changed. They actually, in the 1800s, there were a group of physicians from the East Coast who came out to the prairie, came out to the, you know, out, out to the western United States, and they wanted to do, you know, a, a, a state of the physical health of women on the prairie. And they got here and they were examining women in their 40s and 50s, and, and what came out of that, that study, and I don't remember the exact percentage, but I think it was approaching 50% of women in the prairie were experiencing severe postpartum uh, trauma. I mean, th there, were, there were consequences to giving children with, with quite painful consequences. One physician is quoted as saying this, I don't know how these women stand, let alone work 18 hours a day. But they did. Pain was a reality. Hard work was a reality. And, and so you see that, and, and it, it, it shows you that, that women have often lived very hard but unappreciated life. But, but, Throughout the last 2,000 years of history, this is also true. 
There have always been women leaders in the church in every period of history. And rather than shrinking violets, if you understand that metaphor, historically, Christian women have been influencers and innovators in every generation. May not have got credit for it, but they have made incredible contributions. So much so that there was a Roman pagan scholar, an orator by the name of Labanius. Now, Labanius was, was interesting in that even though he was pagan, he was very sought out as a tutor for young children. And church leaders, Christian church leaders in the Roman Empire around 300 AD would hire him to teach their kids. And when he was looking at Christian women compared to Roman women of the day, Labanius said this. I love this quote. Heavens, what women these Christians have. Now, isn't that a great quote? I think we should say that together. Heavens, what women these Christians have. And that's, that's the kind of attitude I want the world to have when they look inside the church at our ladies. We don't need the world to define what a woman is. We need to have amazing women in the church that everybody goes, dang, you know, how are they so incredible? It's because God is dwelling within them, and they know the Word of God, and they have faith, and they operate in the confidence that comes from a relationship with Christ, that, that they walk in the fullness of the revelation of what Galatians 3, 26 to 29 says. For you are all children of God. Every single person on this earth is created in the image of God. And through faith in Jesus Christ. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. Like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you, to every single believer. There are no second-class Christians. There are none. We have a priesthood of believers. And when you look at the biblical examples that are available to us, we see that, that God has used women throughout eternity. He, he has them you know, serving and supporting Jesus. He's got them leading armies. You know there are cases in the Old Testament where women led armies? Yep. He got, has them sharing and teaching faith. The woman at the well was an incredible evangelist. You got them prophesying and moving in the spiritual gifts. Did you know that there is nothing in the Bible that says women are excluded from receiving the spiritual gifts, the charismata? Nothing. In fact, the Bible shows example of women doing everything that is offered to us through the fullness of the Spirit. You see them hosting churches in their home. But, but even more than the biblical example, perhaps is, is the, the, the history record, the, the, the recorded lives of women who made significant contributions to the church. Now, I'm going to share some snippets, some, some just brief vignettes of, of several different women that have made contributions. And many of these come from, from a book, Marilyn, that I stole from, I borrowed from you without your knowing it, from your library called Great Women of the Christian Faith by Edith Den. It was written or published in 1959, and it's out of print. Uh, several people, actually somebody in the first service bought a copy online while I was preaching, which I thought was pretty cool. Welcome to 2023. But, but uh, it's got some wonderful uh, cases in there. And, and some of the cases that, that I want to make us aware of uh, began around 300 AD. And there was a woman by the name of Amelia, and she was uh, a, a Roman um, Christian, and she was the mother of 10 people. 
And of her 10 children, three of them became bishops, including St. Gregory and St. Basil. And, and you may know about St. Basil. He's you know, very influential in the, in the, in the you know, kingdom of God for a number of theological reasons, including the Nicene Council. But, but, but she also had a daughter by the name of Marcinia. Now, Marcinia was this incredible woman who, who heard the voice of God challenging her to be a blessing to women. And so she, she creates this nunnery or, the, or this institution, and it, it had on one side a hospital where, where she would just minister to anybody, and they have many recorded miracles. In fact, she was canonized by the Roman Catholic Church. But she also had a school there where she educated women to read and to know the scriptures and to move out you know, in service to community to bring glory to God. And she was an incredible woman. In fact, you know, when, when you study her, there is a, a man of great repute himself by the name of John Christostom, who said this, that she was a great organizer and independent thinker and as well-educated as Basil himself. And she's worthy of honor. She's worthy of respect because she was a kingdom builder. There's another great woman from history, and her name is Catherine von Bora. You know who Catherine von Bora was? She was Martin Luther's spouse. Yeah, she is. And, and when you read Luther's biographies and, and things that he wrote at the time, he, he just praised her as being this incredible woman of faith. And, you know, they share several anecdotes of great contributions she made to the kingdom of God. My favorite story about her is this, though. There is this period in Martin Luther's life where he is discouraged and depressed. It's understandable when you look at what was going on at the time. And, and you know, he was just, he was weary and he was, you know, want to throw the towel in and give up. And he looked at his wife and he said, look, I've got to go away for a few days and just pray. I've got to recenter myself because I don't know what's going to happen. So Martin Luther goes away. And then he comes home after a few days. And as he enters their house, he finds you know, a Katharina sitting in a chair in a black morning dress with a black veil over her face. And he's disturbed. He comes in. He says, honey, you know, or whatever he called her. He said, what has happened? You know, he's German. I don't know what they say. But, but, but you know, who, who died? What, what's gone on? And she, you know, pulls the veil back, and she looks at him according to this story and says, well, well dear, I, I just assumed because of your lack of faith and how discouraged you've been that God must have died in heaven. <laughs> now, you get what I'm saying? Is that not a just slap up the side of the head? I mean, that's the kind of woman a man needs in his life. You know what I'm saying? Who looks at him and says, put on your big boy pants, Martin Luther. It's time to stand and believe God. Let's have some faith. And she deserves credit for helping the, 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 the whole Protestant Reformation stay on track and helping Martin Luther finish the assignment God has given him. You know, just, just, just one other example. I, I want to get into a next person. And this is somebody that many of you may know, and it's Katarina or Catherine of Siena. And you could literally teach an entire, you know, college graduate level course on what this woman did. I mean, she was incredible. She was a theologian. She wrote books that are still studied to this day about her relationship God, with God. She was a mystic. She was Pentecostal before Pentecostal was cool. Uh, which means that she was into the moving of the Spirit of God, of hearing the voice of God, of, of flowing in that, that right-brained Christianity, if you're familiar with that, not just analytical but also spiritual. Uh, she was, was a leader in the church. She was somebody who held popes and other religious leaders accountable. 
There was a lot of politics going in, and she would go into conflicts and situations and say, hey, why does the church exist? To bring glory to God. Who is the hero of the story? It would be Jesus Christ. What are we called to do? To emulate his behaviors, to be servants unto all mankind. This is not a place for us to put ambition and selfishness. We need to keep it pure. Some people called her the conscience of the church. She was so effective as a leader that when there was a, a, a war breaking out between a neighboring state and Florence, which was a city-state in Italy at the time, do you know who they sent to negotiate peace? It was a woman. A woman. Say it isn't so. And yet, she was incredible. I love this quote that we pulled off the internet. It says, be brave. Don't be afraid of your weakness, because in Christ crucified, you can do anything. There is neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. You can do anything with God as your support. Love that story. What an inspiration. Let, let's, let's move forward in time to the 1600s here in America. Has anybody ever heard of a woman named Anne Hutchinson? Yeah, a couple of you fans? Okay. So Anne was, was a, an English lady who uh, came to America about 1630. So Anne comes to America. She lands in Boston in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. And at the time, it's very puritanical, which means that it was very legalistic. You know, very much this, you know, it's very paternal. You know, there was a lot of do's and don'ts, and this is what we're going to do, and this is the whole Salem witch trial and all that craziness. But Anne is different. Anne has a revelation of the grace of God. Anne has a revelation that, that we're not saved by works, lest any man should boast, as it says in the Bible. And she started to preach this to other ladies in the church. She started, you know, holding Bible studies. She had prayer meetings where they would bring sick people, and they actually have records of, of very seriously ill people coming into the sick, these, these prayer meetings, and they're prayed for, and these, these people get better. They get healed. But she didn't just stop there. She began to confront the church leaders, who were all men at the time, and tell them that what you're preaching is legalism. What you're preaching is a works-based righteousness. What you're preaching is not gospel. Would you like to know how that went over? <laughs> not well. It did not go over well. And what they did is they went into the Bible and pulled out those verses and said, you know, do not suffer a woman to teach. Do not let her have authority over a man. And it didn't matter that she was actually preaching the truth. And what she was saying was most likely a prophetic warning from the Holy Spirit to tell these guys to repent. They excommunicated her from the colony and booted her out of Massachusetts. Now, you can only wonder, by the way, the Puritans disappeared shortly thereafter, but if they had heard her message, much like the, you know, the people in Nineveh, perhaps they would have hung around a little longer, Just bringing it up. But she goes to Rhode Island, does the same thing in Rhode Island, hacks off the leaders in Rhode Island, gets kicked out of Rhode Island. But interestingly, her children who, who, who are born at that time end up staying in Rhode Island, and her grandkids literally become leaders of the future colony of Rhode Island, including becoming the, the, the governor of that colony. And, and the teachings that she taught at that time become the foundation for a lot of the, the things that we as Americans take for granted, things like freedom of religion, freedom of thought, uh, things about, you know, freedom of the press, mutual respect. She was incredibly influential in early colonial thoughts. And so she's booted out of Rhode Island. She goes to New York where she's killed in a Native American conflict. So you don't hear much about her. 
except her grandkids are part of creating this country. Until 1905, the First Church of Boston, which had been the one that excommunicated her, put up a a wall tablet within the church that said this, and this is a, a portion of that. This tablet is placed here in honor of Anne Hutchinson, received into membership of this church in 19, or 1634, banished from Massachusetts by decree of court, 1637. This is the part I love. A breeder of heresies, of ready wit and bold spirit, she was a pervasive advocate of the right of independent judgment. I think Anne Hutchinson is a beautiful illustration of, of this principle you may have heard, that a a well-read woman is what? A dangerous creature. (laughs) We need more dangerous creatures in the church, don't we? We need some women who are willing to to stand up and become everything they've been called of God to be, who aren't intimidated by by all kinds of things that are are fearless. And and speaking of fearless, I want to just share with you the next person. Her name is Amanda Smith. Uh, anybody, this is a picture of Ms. Smith. Amanda Smith was one of the first African-American evangelists in the United States. Has an amazing backstory. She was born in slavery, one of a number of children, five or six. Her father was a devout Christian who worked a job on the side to make money. He was a slave as well. But he worked to earn enough money to buy his children's freedom. And the father was able to buy the freedom of all of his kids including Anne. However, however, as an African-American in the South, if you did not have your, your uh, papers of emancipation you, and, and the ability to prove that you were set free, you could be recaptured and resold. And that's exactly what happened to one of her sisters. She was, she was approached, she didn't have her papers, she was arrested, and she was re-enslaved. So Anne made it a goal that she was going to buy her sister's freedom because her father had, had gone on. And so she started to work. She opened up a business selling chicken and biscuits in Maryland. It was very popular. And she was saving money to, to purchase her sister's freedom. Now, she was raised in a Christian home, a woman of great integrity. And one day she finds $300, which is more than enough to buy her sister's freedom. But rather than keeping the money, she decides to look for the owner of that fund, those funds. Whose money is this? And she finds him, and she gives the $300, which could buy her sister's freedom, to this man, who then gave her enough money to buy her sister's freedom. Great story of obedience being rewarded. So Anne continues in her life. She gets married. Her first husband disappears in the Civil War. He was fighting for the North. They don't know what happened to him. She marries a second time. The second husband is a preacher. Well, that's clearly a mistake. Never marry a preacher. Uh, Why are you nodding your head, Aaron? Uh, (laughs) But uh, he ended up being a 'er ne'er-do-well. He ended up not being a a sincere man of God, and he abandoned her. And so she finds herself as a single woman or a single mom with children trying to take care of them, trying to provide for them, working very, very hard, and being in love with God. She is invited to an evangelistic meeting where there is a a, a preacher talking about a a second experience with God, a sanctifying experience, and what we would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They they didn't have tongues yet as a part of the discussion, but it was was an infilling of the Spirit of God. She goes to this meeting, and she is powerfully affected by the ministry. And then there's an invitation to come forward to the altar, to, to allow God to touch you in a special way. And she looks from the back of the room to the front, and what she sees at the altar are a whole lot of white people. 
and she doesn't go forward for precisely that reason, because she was afraid of what would happen if she forced herself into a, a community gathering of white people. It's a sad testament of the church, but it was the reality of her life. And so the meeting concludes, and she, she is walking home, and she's disappointed. She's, I mean, I, I can't believe it. I really felt God wanted to touch me. And yet as she's walking home, the Spirit of God falls on her. And she encounters a powerful, transformative experience with the, with the Spirit of God walking home. And, and she said in her, her, her autobiography, she became a prolific writer and a prolific preacher. She went all over the world. She actually preached in the South, then she went to England and preached in England to all white congregations. She went to India, preached in India. She went to, to Africa. But she said in her autobiography, she said that at that moment that she realized that God had set her on fire. He had sanctified her soul. She was no longer afraid of anyone, and this is a quote, not even white people, <laughs> which I think is great. She understood better, than, better the meaning of there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And her, and her ministry is documented. It was incredible. She, she preached all over the world. There's this great story that she was in Liberia, which was an, uh, a colony that was planted in Africa, and she was preaching there. And she, had, she never had a lot of money, but she always had money. Money came from partners who would just give her enough. She'd get enough money to kind of go through the next town or do whatever. And it was consistently flowing in, but she gets to Liberia, and the money just dries up. Just dries up, man. She's stuck there. And she goes to God, and she says, God, you've taken care of me all these years. Where are you? And the Lord said, you have grown reliant on America, not me. And so she repents. She says in her Bible, she repents and says, I'm sorry, God. Let my confidence never be in man. Let it always be in you. Very next week, the money starts showing up again. Incredible story. It's an inspiration for us all. I mean, people are not the source of our blessing. God is the source of our blessing. I'll share just one more, and, and it's a woman by the name of Lucy Farrow. Now, how many of you are familiar with the name William Seymour? Can you just show me your hands? You guys know who William Seymour was? William Seymour was an African-American gentleman who was the, the pastor slash evangelist at a mission church in Southern California called Azusa, at a town called Azusa. And in the early 1900s, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on that that little church that blew up into a revival. And that revival was the Pentecostal Revolution. It's the most significant event in, in the last 200 years of church history. And, and God began to just pour out his spirit there. Tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people traveled from all over the world to go to that little church and be touched by God in those services. And they went on for years and years. And that Pentecostal message spread throughout the world. We're, we are part of the tradition of what William Seymour was a part of initiating in Southern California in the early 1900s. What does that have to do with Lucy Farrow? Well, before he went to Southern California, William Seymour was in southern part of Houston, Texas, near a town called Alvin. And there was a man named Charles Parnum out of Topeka, Kansas, who was holding meetings where he was encouraging people to receive what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And Lucy Farrow was the pastor of an African-American holiness church that got involved with Charles Parnum. And her friend was William Seymour. 
She went to William Seymour. She said, you need what God has for you. This, this outpouring of the Spirit, you need that. He said, are you sure? Yeah, you need to come to these meetings. And so she was responsible for, for inviting him to the meetings where he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, Charles left Alvin and, and went away and was starting a Bible college, and he invited Lucy to become uh, the governess of his children, and she accepted. But she looked to, to William Seymour and said, you need to leave too because you need to go to Bible college. You need to become a leader. God wants to use you as a leader. William Seymour says, well, okay, I'll go to Bible college. So he goes to Bible college. Comes under the tutelage of Charles Parnham. They're, they're preparing to send him to this mission church in Southern California where the revival is really going to kick off. But before he sends Charles Parnham to Azusa, he sent Lucy Farrow. She preceded Charles by several months and prepared the church for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was to come through the ministry of William Seymour. You could argue there would be no Pentecostal revolution if Lucy Farrow had not been faithful to believe that God was using her to prepare the way. Pretty impressive stuff. We see that women's contributions to the faith have been overlooked, but they haven't been insignificant. They have not been insignificant. And it's time to give honor to whom honor is due. It's also time to ask ourselves as we think about how the world is trying to redefine gender terms and everything else, how much of what we want to embrace is culture and how much is canon? And do we really believe that all men and women are created in the image of God and that God really wants all people to discover within themselves the spiritual DNA that we prayed over those children today, the spiritual DNA of your heavenly Father that allows you to bring glory to him through service to men and women and children and others. Do we really want a church that's full of dangerous women? A friend of mine asked me, I was reviewing this with notes, he said, are there any other kind? <laughs> I got it, man. I understand it. But, but, but that, that's what we want. Are we willing to, to, to embrace the importance of women in the church? And I know we're, we're Happy Church, Orchard Road, Encounter Church, and that we've always had a tradition of celebrating women. But, but you know something? We need women to celebrate themselves, to cast off negative stereotypes that may have been forced on them by well-intended ministers uh, who may have been completely deceived, and by others, including the enemy of our, of our spirituality. So I want to bring this sermon to a close this morning with, with this prayer. This prayer is that men and women both would recognize that the kingdom of God has two genders on purpose, and that neither is superior to the other, and that each has a, a role to play, and it is important for all of us, no matter what our gender, to be passionate about discovering the voice of God for our life and to embracing the call that he has on us. And it's time, I think, for the, the women of the Church of Jesus Christ to inspire the same kind of envy that we saw in the first century where people outside the church will go, heavens, what women these Christians have. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for mothers and for Mother's Day. 
I thank you, God, for the time that is spent to honor and celebrate women and their contributions to our lives. But God, I, I don't want there just to be a, a time when we go to brunch or exchange cards or you know, buy our mom's Porsches and houses in Breckenridge, which apparently Pat is doing for uh, Sharon today. Um, we thank you, God, that, that you have you have amazing things that you want to release in the church through the women who call themselves followers of Christ. And so I pray, God, for a powerful anointing on the women of our church, those who are watching online this morning and those who are here in person, that you would bless them in a unique way, that they would know to the core of their soul what, what our sister did years ago, that they don't need to be afraid of anybody or anything. They don't need to be afraid of their weaknesses because they can do anything through Christ Jesus who strengthens them. Let the church be filled with passionate, loving, compassionate, dangerous women who are willing to stir up trouble because they preach the truth in love and because they say, not your will, but, or not my will, but yours be done, Father. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Encounter Church, visit ecdenver.org or find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.